Hey, you're listening to the Time and Talks podcast. I'm your host, Dejal V. Patel, and this is the place where we have refreshingly real talks about the biggest problems moms face in motherhood and life and the spiritual solutions to solve them. If you're ready to reset your mindset with some major truth bombs, well then, let's dive in. In the rise of the Me Too movement, more and more women are speaking out from the silence of being survivors of sexual assault. More and more women are choosing to live a sober life and truly thrive after addiction. I've always felt that whether we turn to alcohol or drugs or pain meds, anger or food to numb ourselves from the pain, addiction is simply trying to fill a hole within ourselves that only spirituality can fill. And I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about that really personal relationship and journey to being one with ourselves, tapping into our higher self, healing generational pain, and living a conscious and empowered life. I'm so honored to introduce our very first guest on the Time and Talks podcast. Today I have Blaze Bell, who is a singer, a DJ, an empowerment coach, and a motivational speaker. Her mission is to help other women heal and overcome in the ways that she has. Blaze is a survivor of sexual assault and is celebrating eight years free of drugs, alcohol, and an eating disorder. Blaze lives in Anchorage, Alaska, where she co-parents her two amazing kids, Lyric and Jazz. In this episode, you're here, one mother's journey of overcoming addiction, surviving sexual assault, and the importance of breaking generational patterns. Without further ado, let's welcome Blaze to the show, who's going to help us press the reset button on being a victim of trauma and addiction. Hey, Blaze, I'm so thrilled that you're here on the Time and Talks podcast today. Thank you so much for inviting me. So fun. So I've known you for, oh my gosh, how many years has it been? Maybe two, three. It seems like it's been a while. Yeah. You met on the internet, which is awesome and um you're gonna help us press the reset button on being a victim of trauma and addiction all right so i like to start off with three icebreaker questions just to get the energy right for the podcast so question number one so i just have to ask with the name like blaze bell so i gotta just ask is that your real name that is my real given name, Blaze Ashley Bell. Yes. Well, your parents must have been like freaking rock stars to think of that really awesome name. I guess. I mean, people have all kinds of ideas of why they named me this. Um, some more, you know, interesting than others. Um, but I guess in junior high, my mom read a book about a girl named Blaze who had a horse or something. Maybe the horse was named Blaze. I'm not sure. Um, And she always thought, well, that's a fun name. And then years later, when she was pregnant with me, she thought of it, but she didn't tell my dad because she thought this is way too weird. And one night, my dad woke her up and said, we have to name the baby Blaze. Like, boy or girl, he'd had some kind of dream, and that was it. So here's something really weird and woo-woo that I think you'll like. (laughs) Um, I was meditating years ago, and during a meditation, I had this big memory pop up of my spirit 
talking to my dad while he was sleeping and saying, I have a big mission in this next life and I need my name to be Blaze. It'll make everything so much easier. Please name me Blaze. And I just started crying. It was just the weirdest thing. So I'm Blaze. Well, you did mention, so this is to my second question and I'm totally putting you on the spot. So you are a singer and you are a singing coach and you have a radiant and very captivating voice. So I'm totally putting you on the spot. Can you sing a little bit for us? <laughs> Just like a couple lines. <laughs> yes. All right. Um, here's a song my cover band just started doing that I love. So, <clears throat> I don't need a whole lot of money. I don't need a big fine car. I've got everything that a girl could want. I got more than than I could ask for. Is that enough? Mm, so good. <laughs> <laughs> I got chills. That's so Ooh, good. Oh well, thank you. So my last question to you is: Would you rather meet your great great grandparents or your great great grandchildren? Oh. Oh, man. Great, great grandparents. Mm, and can I ask you why? Yes. Um, well, I'm, it makes me more nervous to think of the great, great grandchildren. Um, but thinking of parents, I feel a really strong responsibility to change some generational patterns in my life um, and for like my lineage. And I would love to go back a few and let them know that I'm doing that and make sure that they know the mistakes they're making. They're doing the best they can. Um, and I am coming to help and help, um, heal in both directions. That would be Ooh, cool. <laughs> that's really, you know what the wisdom that just came to me? Cause mm -hmm. I, I truly believe when you're, we're trailblazers, like he, like you, you're consciously making the effort to heal generational patterns, which we're going to dive into today. I think, I thought when you talked about your image in the meditation, I've had mm. images in meditation because I feel like I'm very much on the same path as you, like clearing out ancestral baggage and mm -hmm. patterns. I've had images in meditation where I'm sitting and I see like ancestors behind me oh. who are like supporting you, like supporting me and giving their hands and they're kind of pushing me. So when you say that, I feel like they're already behind you just being like giving you their blessing and pushing you forward. And I think that you on this path is kind of them pushing you and catapulting you forward to do that. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I love that. Yes. We're talking about generational patterns of addiction and you're going to share some really intimate things about you being a survivor of trauma. And so like many of us moms, we really... Mm -hmm try I think we really consciously try not to fall into the patterns of probably the mistakes that our parents made and I think you really are consciously trying to do this and you feel like you have a massive responsibility to change generational healing so I'd love for you to share more about your story how you've gotten to this place and so we can just understand sure absolutely uh, so growing up, I was raised by my mom. Uh, my dad dealt with a lot of mental illness and drug addiction. So he was not a, really a part of my life. Um, and of course, you know, when you start dating, some of that comes back of like, oh, daddy issues. <laughs> okay. Um, so that's a different struggle. But I had a very doting mother 
who really, and I was an only child until I was 13. So we have this quite a codependent relationship, I'd say. She leans on me a lot. Um, and I answer all her calls every day. <laughs> Love you, mom. Um, what's, uh, no, but she was amazing and she took great care of me. And um, But there is that kind of abandonment from my dad that's always sort of in the back of my mind um, and has definitely colored my relationships. Um, but one of the big things is I thought, okay, I will never be an addict. I will never date an addict. That was my, my guiding thought. Um, and so fast forward through childhood to uh, I was 19 and I experienced a very traumatizing home invasion and uh, a masked man broke into my house and it was just out of a horror movie. Um, I experienced sexual assault. Um, that's how I lost my virginity. Uh, and it was extremely violent. I thought for sure I was gonna die that day. And so, of course, a trauma like that would rattle any of us. Um, and it really, really changed the trajectory of my life. And Tony Robbins says, he had a quote about um, actually on his uh, Netflix thing about if you're gonna blame someone for something you have to also thank them and I haven't fully forgiven this person but I am at a point where I do thank them in some ways for really catapulting my healing but before the healing before saving all the other people uh, I had absolutely no healthy coping skills at that point in my life <clears throat> so I went through this trauma a couple months after that, my uh, stepdad left my mom, and that was all of a sudden I had to be dad uh, to my little brother and support my mom through her heartbreak, which was a lot. I was still dealing with my own thing. A few months after that, my biological father passed away, and I get this dramatic phone call from an aunt just wailing and saying, your dad's last words were, I'm sorry, Blaze, and tell her I love her. You know, it's just like, ah! um, And that was the point when I was like, okay, I think I'm done for a minute. Like, I, I'm not suicidal, I don't wanna die, but I definitely need a break from this world. I don't know how to deal with all of this. And after my traumatic event, I was given a ton of prescriptions that was like the doctor's answers to everything was so I went from taking nothing but an asthma inhaler to all of a sudden having an antidepressant anti-anxiety pills sleeping pills pain pills and it was just insane but I didn't know any other way and I just did what they said which I don't do very often anymore <laughs> that, that's another thing but um I got really really addicted to my prescriptions and that was the start of my addiction, which went off and on for nearly a decade, pretty much most of my 20s. And addiction is scary. And there was a point when I thought, oh my God, you know, here I am. I, I haven't ever dated an alcoholic or an addict, but I am the addict. I'm the alcoholic. And I was so surprised. And in some ways, it even made me feel close to my dad in this very twisted way. But I finally understood that power that it has. And, um, so I struggle with that off and on and it was so difficult and I just felt like at a certain point I didn't know how to live without drinking and if the alcohol was gone I would turn to something else and if that was gone I would 
you know, I just had this void. I was so full of fear. I was the most scared person I knew. And um, so I felt like to push through my fear, I had to rely on these outward substances. And um, yeah, so that's kind of the backstory. But you're a very uplifting and inspiring and empowering woman. So as you went through that journey, and may I say, it like hearing hearing your story, it you are in to know where you are today, because I didn't know you in that phase of your life. You should be so proud of who you are because you have really taken something that is gut-wrenchingly difficult and hard and challenging, overwhelming, and you've really become a survivor and you're a thriver. And it's just, uh, you you just, I wish I could give you a hug over through the, the <laughs> it's very, very empowering to hear where you're from and who, to know who you are now. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I think we need to just sit and acknowledge that because wherever mm -hmm. anyone, whoever's listening, you know, someone will be like, oh, this is really extreme or might be hiding in the silence of I was sexually abused or I had a mm -hmm. violent experience. You've really gone on a platform to really, to be a, an advocate and to yeah. share your truth. So I'd really love for you to kind of give us a, a, an idea of kind of like that turning point, right? Like when you're in this darkness and then you're trying to emerge out, there's this there's this plateau mm -hmm. where there's that middle area, right? Before you kind of go into the light or you kind of make it to light. Can you help us understand what kind of was going on and how you navigated that? Yes. And I'd love to just touch real quick on uh, sexual assault and abuse survivors. Um, it turns out a lot of us turn to very similar things when we are trying to navigate that horrible pain. Um, so much shame comes up, which is not needed. I mean, no one should be ashamed. It's never your fault, no matter what. Um, but I know those feelings and a lot of us turn to an eating disorder. I suffered from bulimia off and on pretty much the whole time I was also in addiction. I released both of those about the same time um, because they were both coming from the same place of just disgust with my own body, um, with other people, with men, and just that fear, fear, fear. And how do I take care of these emotions and so eating disorders and which was very secret that was my big secret i think a lot of people knew but that's how it felt to me and the same with the drugs and with the drinking um there was just so much so many secrets and those secrets were like my best friend in that time i thought i could not live without them and i know that there are other women and men out there right now doing the same thing I was doing and it's such a scary place to be in and it feels so alone. I felt so alone, like no one understood me. Why can't I act like all my friends at the bar? Why can't I figure out how to deal with this? Um, so if that's you right now, please know that there is another way, there is a way out. I meet people today who say, oh well, it must have been easy for you or you're special or you're lucky and that makes me so mad, like just so mad, because it took a lot of work, um, but that work was incredibly worthwhile. And it actually didn't take as long as you might think. So anyway, for the people that are suffering right now, please keep listening. Um, 
And I forgot your question, but I had to, <laughs> well, that, I had to say something great, about that, that. That was a great tangent because I think that's exactly what needed to be said. But I yeah. just wanted to make a point. Oh, how did I got out yeah, of that? Yeah, like how you got yeah. out of that. But I just wanted to say, because this was so beautiful what you just said, I, I think it's also important, you know, when you talk about, like, that feeling of, you know, that those secrets that we have. Because... Mm-hmm. You're someone who is very vocal about sharing it. I just want to ask, mm-hmm. you know, was sharing your truth, did it help? Or being vulnerable to speak about it, did, for anyone who's kind of suffocating in the silence, did that help by sharing your truth? Or or did that was that any part of your, like, healing process of being able to speak to someone that you trusted and that could help yes. you? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um and that's been a journey too of how to share uh, when it's appropriate, when it's too much. Um, but I think the first step is finding one person that you can trust to talk to, um, because a lot of people are nervous, especially when it comes to things like assault. Where, oh my God, are they going to call the police? Or I don't necessarily want this to go any further, but I need to get it out. Um, so you know, find someone you can trust that it doesn't have to be a that dramatic it just needs to be someone that you can talk to um, so yeah finding those people initially helped and then as my journey has continued I feel you know a big part of my mission is sharing my story because I know that how hard it is and so I want to be that voice for the people that aren't ready to and maybe never will and that's okay um, but it needs to be shared so that other people know they're not alone and know that they can heal um, so we'll try to go back to the other question, but yes. I have like another like five questions that pop up every single time <laughs> we talk. But going back to that period of time, like when you're like, I recognize that I need help, mm-hmm. and what are the steps like that you took? Like what to help you get to that place where you are today? Okay, all right. So it it's a real process, and. I relapsed a ton of times. And so I think that's important to say because some people think, well, it didn't work the first time, so screw it, I'm broken, it's never gonna happen. Uh, That doesn't need to be true. That's just a story you're telling yourself. Um, So I took a lot of missteps and there was quite a few years there where um, anytime I would be behaving in a way that scared my mom or a boyfriend or I cheated on a boyfriend things like this that were totally inappropriate of all these bad decisions I made when I was drunk then I would just say I'll go to an AA meeting don't worry I'll be okay I'll go to a meeting I'll go to a meeting and that was kind of my line and sometimes I would go and then sometimes I'd go to the bar right after like I was it was 100% for them to calm down and stop bothering me and uh, obviously that never took but I feel like there are seeds that were planted throughout those years. Um, The people I met who wanted to help me and I really wasn't ready. And I would go in and I would hug people and have this whole facade of, oh, I'm so happy to be here. Um, And that really switched when I was really ready. I did not go in and hug anyone. I did not smile. I did not say hello (laughs) because I was scared and I was like, this is really it. I have to figure this out. So. That moment came, uh, okay, so I met my husband and we we were performers together 
and I was drinking and I was really heavily abusing drugs at the time and he didn't he didn't know the extent of it. He just thought, oh wow, she's a party animal like me. Well, he's a social partier. I was like, now I'm gonna go home and do this by myself because I don't know another way. Um, so our relationship progressed very quickly. He told me that he really wanted to be a dad and a father and he was so excited and if I didn't want that, we need to not waste each other's time. And so I thought about it and I thought, he's gonna be an amazing dad. And I've had two dads who were very disappointing and this guy is so ready, he's gonna be great. So we decided to have kids. Three months into dating, I got pregnant. And um, we were very excited. I remember holding up the pregnancy stick and seeing double because I was still drunk from the night before. And so that's where I was at when I got pregnant. And so from that day forward, I stopped using during the pregnancy. So, and it was very, I mean, just imagine someone coming off of being an alcoholic, cold turkey, uh, add in a bunch of pregnancy hormones, a pretty new relationship. I mean, I was a nut job. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, thank you, Eric, for <laughs> being so nice. Um, but I got through the pregnancy. I had this beautiful birth with midwives and it was you know, really incredible. Um, and a week after having the baby, I said, let's go celebrate with a glass of champagne. And I thought, you know, I just made it like 10 months. Clearly I'm not an alcoholic or I would have never been able to do that. Um, and I went to a few meetings here and there throughout that, but not much. So we go have a drink and just immediately I got that tunnel vision and I thought, oh shit, like I'm still there. I'm still that person. And so I started kind of secretly drinking um, for a couple months there. And here I am with a newborn baby. I wasn't to the, wasn't near the level. I wasn't getting wasted. I wasn't driving drunk, nothing like that. But it was like taking the edge off. And again, back with my best friend, that big, huge secret. And um, then I got pregnant again. <laughs> and because we decided, let's have another one. And um, it just happened. Apparently, I'm very fertile. You're a fertile turtle. Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> um, so now I had a four-month-old baby, and I was pregnant. And I uh, and basically, at that point, you know, my family kind of knew something was up, and they gave me a real ultimatum. And you know, and Eric sat down very calm, no anger, and just said, if you ever use again, you can't be around your kids. And I knew how serious that was and how real that was. And up to this point, nothing bad had happened to me or to them. And uh, I couldn't bear the thought of being responsible for something like that. And I finally did have this really beautiful life on paper. Internally, I wasn't there yet, but um, I didn't want to lose it. And so I think at that point I had so much to lose and I didn't want to. And so then I kind of switched gears and I started going to NA, which is Narcotics Anonymous. Uh, and, you know, I'm not going to say too much, you know, this is anonymous, but this is my story. And I do feel like it's important that people know the resources. For me, that was a um, more hardcore group that scared me a bit more. Since drugs are illegal and alcohol isn't, there are a lot more felons and, you know, just, it was just much more colorful. And I thought, you know, I never want to lose everything. And that was a big reminder walking into those rooms of what you could lose. And um, so I went there 
Again, no smiles, no hugs. I had like a hoodie on, my arms crossed, frowning, or I just sit in the corner and cry for a whole meeting. I was miserable because I, I thought, oh, here's what I'll do. I'll go for one year and I'll do every single thing suggested. And at the end of that year, if I am not feeling better, I'll just go back to drinking. So um, I worked the 12 steps and that was really powerful. Mostly, what the really powerful part about it was seeing that putting in work by putting pen to paper could change your life. And so now I'm just obsessed with workbooks. Anytime, you know, <laughs> Louise Hay has like, you can heal your life, the workbook. And I'm like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> you know? Because I got to see the exponential growth that happened with writing versus listening. And, you know, maybe that's for me, but I think everyone should try it. Um, so having to answer a million questions, it started really taking the layers away and helping me move through things. And so, and I saw sitting in meetings, there was this one woman who always was complaining about the same thing week after week. And at one point she said, well, I've been coming here for a year, but I haven't finished step one. And I thought, okay, I'm gonna start doing the steps right now. So I committed to finishing the 12 in my first year. And just layer after layer was shedded as I went through this. And I found this amazing woman who was my sponsor, my mentor in recovery. She was like Mrs. Harley Davidson and a yoga teacher, just like this badass mermaid woman. And she was so incredible. And she was that one person who I could sit down with and everything I told her, she would say, yeah, okay, yeah, I've done that, yeah. <laughs> and these huge secrets that were just wearing me out she thought were no big deal and that was so helpful. And it actually was much more helpful to me than counseling. I think there's a place for therapists and counseling, but it was so different for me to confide in someone who knew exactly how I felt versus someone who had read about me in a book. And so that was like, I would never change that experience. And she's still a part of my life today. So I went through that. And then at a certain point, I I was growing, I had no cravings, I haven't had cravings in years, um, but I kind of felt like the meetings weren't enough for me, I wanted to go further. And so I got really into Gabrielle Bernstein, I started working with a life coach, I mean, I decided that I was going to be as obsessed about my healing as I was about my drug use. And I was gonna spend as much money on my healing as I did on alcohol and drugs which was a lot. And, you know, cause I would start going, oh, oh, Tijel has a course that's $200. Oh, uh, I don't know. You know, I'm like, how, how fast would I spend $200 at a bar or, you know? So that perspective shift also sped up my healing. And I just, you know, I think that addictive personalities, you can really channel it into a superpower. And I mean, I can just have a one track mind like nobody's business. And if that's around something that's going to help myself or someone else, I can do amazing things really quickly. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, for all the addicts out there, you can, you can channel this into something really amazing. You I don't think, need to change your whole personality. <laughs> I know that's true. And I, I think, I think it's safe to say, I don't remember where I heard this, but I think it's true because someone, because someone might be like, oh, you know. 
I'm, I'm not an addict. And, and this is not about judging anything, but it's like whether mm-hmm. it's alcohol or food or even anger can be yeah. addictive. There are different patterns that we use. Like as you kind of have shared in your journey, like, you know, the alcohol and the drugs, were they, were they for you a way to suppress and kind of numb the pain that was underlying possibly from your, the, tr- the traumatic experience that you had? Yeah, right. So one thing I heard was you don't have an alcohol problem, you have a brain problem. And that, I think that's what you're talking about. Yes. Because um, again, that addiction can be anything. It can be sex, it can be gambling, it can be complaining, yes. it can be, you know, all, there's so many things. Yeah. Yeah, Gabrielle Bernstein is a great place to start. She makes meditation and healing very uh, easy to swallow. And she's got lots of free videos on YouTube with different types of Kundalini meditations. Um, but also, she is sober. She has a, you know, a story of overcoming addiction as well. And you probably know her if you're listening to this. I bet you know who she is. She's kind of a big deal. Um, so she's a great example. Um, tapping, emotional freedom technique. That has been the number one healing tool I've used to get through so many things over the years. Um, And I will say, this month, I'm celebrating eight years clean and sober and eight years free of my eating disorder. September September 22nd, right? Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yeah. That's right. You know what's kind of fun that you'll like? Um, Years later, as I was getting into spirituality and things and learning about master numbers, I was looking at my sobriety date, and it's 92211, which 22 and 11 are, those are good ones. Those are good numbers. I love it. I definitely didn't plan it, but uh, yeah. So, Well, if somebody, mm -hmm. if somebody's listening and they don't know what EFT or tapping is, can you just give a little rundown of what that is? So tapping, well, first of all, Brad Yates. And Gala Darling are probably my two favorite uh, tapping teachers. Again, you can find them on YouTube. Uh, But basically, it's kind of a combination of neuroscience and acupressure. And so you're tapping on certain parts of your face as you are saying um, these statements. And, you know, we all know about affirmations. And affirmations have a place. They can be really helpful. But they're not very helpful if they're way, like, way out of, how do I say this? You know, sometimes say you're, went to the doctor and they said you're incredibly obese and it's unhealthy and you go home and you just say, I'm skinny, I'm skinny, I'm skinny. You're not going to believe that. And so it's not going to work. You know, it's not, you're just going to get mad at yourself because you'll feel like you're lying to yourself. And so that's when affirmations get kind of skewed. With tapping, you're actually saying out loud the truth, the negative thoughts you're feeling, and that's really taking the power out of it. And with the acupressure, I can't, I don't know every scientific thing behind it, but I do know it works, and I know it works really, really fast, and I know it's free, and um, it's helped me move through physical pain. Oh, Nick Ortner and Jessica Ortner, that's the big one, The Tapping Solution. Oh, man. Yes, that's a good book. So good. Um, But it works for physical and emotional things. So I've tapped when I had a headache and it went away. Um, You could do it with physical pain and then you can do it with old memories, flashbacks for trauma. Um, PTSD is the biggest one. Another thing that's helped me with overcoming PTSD is Grace Smith. She's a hypnosis teacher and 
hypnosis meditations have been very, very helpful because they seem to go a little bit deeper than a guided meditation and they're really trying to hit your subconscious mind. So she has a lot of specific ones for different things you might be going through. So that's another resource. Yeah, I actually haven't heard of her, mm. um, but I've done hypnosis meditation and I completely concur with you that there, there's something about it that is, it could goes, it goes deeper and right. same thing with tapping. If we'll put like a list of all these different books and things that you're talking about and these, these resources, because tapping what I really, I'm same thing with you. Like when you're using affirmations and you're just saying like blanket statements, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't create the shift. And I found that tapping is definitely even sometimes when you get used to the practice of just pressing the different pressure points on mm -hmm. your body um they just create like a, a calming effect i i press on this chest point this this mm -hmm. point all the time so for anybody who has like chronic anxious like repeating thoughts that are like disturbing you mm -hmm. tapping is something that you may want to try because it helps you break that pattern of that repetitive thinking that keeps you stuck and um yeah, yeah and what so what it really the best thing it does is it takes the emotional charge out of whatever you're going through and i would tend to get really obsessed or really anxious and this is something i could go into you know a public bathroom wherever i was out at work or something and go into a stall and just say the words in my head quietly while i tapped and get a little bit of relief right in that moment so it's a great tool Absolutely. So I know you have you have a son and a daughter. I do. And so I want to add. Yes, you do. And they are jazz and lyric. What cool names, right? <laughs> bless them with cool names too. So I just wanted to ask, like, you know, because I because I am a daughter of someone who's experienced trauma. Do you ever, like, how are you going to empower your daughter? Ooh. To. I know that's a deep one. Just just because you've experienced this in your life, how do you think you're going to empower her? Oh wow, that's a good question. And it's I'm not sure I've spent a lot of time thinking about that. Um so one thing that I do that I'm really serious about in my brain health is I do not watch scary movies. Uh I don't watch crime shows. I do not um read the news very often. You know, I trust that someone will tell me about news that will directly impact me. And some people have mixed feelings about this kind of choice, but I know how fragile my brain is. And I really believe that if I'm putting in all this information, thinking that people are, you know, law and order SVU, these shows that are like, all of a sudden you're thinking, well, someone's getting raped and murdered every day because I'm watching it every day on TV. That's not good for my brain. I don't think it's good for anyone's, but I am very, yeah, I very, you know, I feel fragile. So I, um, so that kind of is something that the kids see from me. And with my daughter, there was something that my mom said a lot when I was growing up was I was very aware that there were bad guys. And she had this like metal crowbar thing under the bed all the time in case a bad guy broke into our house she could beat him with it. And I will never say something like that to my kids. I do not want to be putting information into their heads that this is a dangerous world, that someone's out to get them. Um, there's, you know, so in that way, 
I guess maybe that's empowering them in a certain way. I want them to feel safe in the world. Um, of course, they're gonna come across adversity. And when that happens, I want them to have skills. So we've, you know, some of your meditations, you know, I took your Mindful Mama course. So I've been, you know, just slowly teaching them things. And when I'm meditating, I have ask if they want to join and maybe they will for 30 seconds and then they'll run off and, and that's totally fine. But I want them to be seeing different tools and we have a really fun tapping book for kids. You know, some of these kids mindfulness tapping um, so that they're just really kind of being introduced to things that I never was as a kid. Uh, so that when those things come up, they have somewhere to go. They have something that's not gonna be a brand new thing they have to figure out in a moment of trauma. It can be more second nature or mom or dad can help me right now and I know how. And mom and dad are not a source of fear. They know that I am not, we're not here to freak them out. But I do have to really consciously uh, not be fearful around them because that's still a part of my life. I still experience fear over these past years, you know, eight years sober. I feel so confident that I can stay sober because I've stayed clean through really, really big challenges. And even with the attacker from forever ago, uh, getting out of jail and having parole hearings and me speaking in front of him and the parole board, five feet away from him on behalf of myself and his other victims and, you know, really powerful things like that, that I never thought I'd be able to do and never thought I could do without um, an outside substance. And so I have so much uh, work I've done and it's working so well. And sorry, I am, I'm, I'm, thank you for like taking that moment to say you're proud of me. Um, I don't take those pauses very often, um, but it's, it's been a really big journey and you know, so just for my kids to just watch me, I think, yeah, we can talk all day and tell our kids all these things, but ultimately they're learning the most from watching what we're doing all the time. And I'm nowhere near perfect, but I am definitely trying to not be a fear-mongering, hovering mom and uh, trying, you know, not to expose them to things they don't need to be exposed to yet. Yeah, I think that's, that's beautiful. Like their journey is gonna be completely different than your journey, right? They're all children. They're not mm -hmm. here to have the same exact experiences as us, but you are, I think you do a beautiful job. You really do share a lot of yourself. I've seen it through your, you know, what you share with them, whether it's the mindfulness or the meditation or just letting them be their own unique spirits. I think you do such a beautiful job of that. So um, thank you so much. And you, offer there's ways for our mamas to connect to you and the work that you do so i love for you to take a moment to share about the work that you do and how someone listening if they want to contact you what they could do sure absolutely uh, so i do a lot of work locally with nonprofits. Um, i actually this was my Yesterday was my first meeting as the official board president for Victims for Justice, which is a, um, yeah, you know what's so beautiful about that? This isn't exactly what you asked, but I'm just really excited um, because this was a group that helped me when I was first victimized. And now, 15 years later, I am chairing the board. And that is just such a powerful, you know, kind of showing of the healing work that that has gone on that's so amazing. Um, anyway that's amazing. i love working with i love working with charities i do a lot of uh, leading support groups with star which is a 
a rape crisis center here in Alaska as well. Um, but I also offer one-on-one -on -one empowerment coaching and this I do it over Skype or Zoom or whatever for anybody. And you know, I feel like my greatest work is helping people who are stuck feeling like a victim learn how to move to feeling empowered because you are empowered. You really do get to create so many things in your life and I know how hard it is to push through that victimhood. Um, so I love to facilitate that. Um, I'm also working, like right now I'm writing a book and an album and that kind of coincide that are all parts of my journey and I'm really, That's really so cool. excited about that. Um, yeah, so I have a lot of things brewing. Um, I'm working on an online course around addiction recovery and just lots of things. My kids just started school for the first time ever. Yes. And so for the first time in eight years, I have these like five hour blocks per day to actually create all of these beautiful things I've been daydreaming about as I've been holding these babies. So this is a big time, but blazebell.com is my website. You can find Blazebell. I'm on Facebook. Instagram is my favorite place. Uh, but my website will have all the things that I'm doing now and the upcoming things I'm really excited about. So yeah, I would love for you to join. Blazebell Bliss is my Instagram. So that's a good place to Awesome. And me. you are offering such a generous, like 50% off your one-on-one -on -one coaching for anyone who's listening. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So if you're interested in that, just let me know that you heard me on this podcast. And yeah, 50% off. That's amazing. That would be great. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed our time together and thank you so much for being so honest and vulnerable and you truly are a thriver i i i feel like every essence of you is totally thriving and it's such an honor to have have our paths cross and you're such a beautiful soul and thank oh, you you're so, so much and i'm so glad that everyone who's listening has had an opportunity to hear you too I appreciate you. Thank you. All right, guys. So thank you so much for tuning in to this Time and Talks episode. Everything you need to know is in the show notes. You can find out Blaze's, um, all the resources that Blaze has mentioned and how you can contact her. Thanks so much, guys, and I'll see you on the next episode of Time and Talks.